Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to meet the most interesting and inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines. And for those of you that listened to last month's show, my guest today will be a familiar voice. David Riera joined me for an awesome discussion during the February Sea Change podcast episode, and we had so much to talk about that we said, hey, no need to rush this conversation. Let's just get together again for part two. So I am very pleased to welcome you to part two of our discussion. And for those of you that have yet to listen to last month's episode, I recommend going back and listening before diving into this one. But if you'd prefer to do that later, this conversation will serve as a standalone that you should be able to follow along with no problem. David is a United States Marine combat veteran, a first-generation Afro-Hispanic college graduate who is driven daily to tackle various social and environmental issues. Additionally, he is an environmental scientist, educator, advocate, and a McKnight Doctoral Fellow at Florida International University and an Ocean Oceans Advisory Committee member for the Hispanic Access Foundation. David, welcome back. Thank you for joining me again. And I'll actually have to go back and check on this, but I think you are my first ever repeat guest. So this is a big moment. Hey, I appreciate it. You know, they <laughs> in Hollywood, you know, they always have that stigma that the, the sequel, you know, might not be the best than the original. <laughs> but, you know, I'm here to tell everybody that, you know, welcome back. The sequel is going to is going to make you want a third a third visit which we'll we'll have to explore in the very very future but i'm 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 blessed and i'm humbled um to be here again uh, and the sequel yeah, is that's, always uh, going to be s- better right they they say that about movies but not podcasts <laughs> this, that's true that's true you know so welcome everybody know. to part 2 yeah, I feel like we need some like air horns in there, like anyway. So, um, earlier today, I was pondering that, like, I had this moment that kind of made me pause for a second because I was thinking about like when was the last time that I went to the ocean and thinking about this because I was in a meeting and you know how on Zoom these days everybody puts in like little icebreakers into the chat. Somebody somebody asked us all to share like when was the last time we went to the ocean and and like what did we do? And um, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of stumped. And even though like I'm an ocean advocate that lives in a state with a ridiculous amount of coastline, um, I really had to think about it. And uh, – I guess this is like a long meandering way to, to like just get to wondering like, do do you visit the ocean often? And like, do you have a favorite place to go? Like what? And like when you're there, like what kinds of feelings does like spending time around water bring up for you? Absolutely. I mean, if, if I don't go to the ocean um, at the very least, you know, once a month. And when I'm there, I'm there for hours. You know, I'm not, it's not like a, you know, dip my uh, toe into the, into the water and, and, oh, it's too cold or, oh, it's too murky. No, it's, uh, <laughs> once I'm in there, I'm in there. You, you, you can't, uh, 
can't break me away. Um, it's, it's recharging, you know, um, it's being able to feel, you know, that connection that you can't, you can't necessarily, you can't necessarily bring it up, you know, completely in words. Um, because even the words become a poor, a poor interpretation of, of, of being in that space, you know, in that time, um, you know, there's a way that the ocean water speaks to the water, um, that's in all of our cells, you know, inside of our bodies, inside of our heart, inside of our mind. Um, you know, once it taps into that vibration, that, that wave energy, that flow, um, then it starts coalescing with all, all of the memories, um, in the ocean of your mind, um, and starts rustling them. It starts going back and forth. And, you know, if, for those that spend a lot of time in waters with a lot of wave energy, um, you know, you, you know, I could be in the car on the way back and I'm still feeling, you know, like the, the waves energy just, just colliding inside of my body. You know, when I was, when I was in high school, uh, you know, on a day like today, which is kind of like a national skip day here in Miami-Dade County, um, you know, I went, I took two, three buses um, because we didn't have a car. And I took three buses with my friends to go down to the beach to meet other friends that actually did have cars. <clears throat> but, you know, we won't go there. But, <laughs> you know, I went there and on the bus ride back, because, you know, again, bus ride back, three buses on the bus ride back, it was just like I would. I was passed out on the bus and I was just like feeling envisioning and still just being in the water. Yeah. That like deep relaxation, um, that you get from spending time out in nature is just unmatched. And I mean, you're spot on. I, I feel it too. When I'm outside or near the ocean, it, it like connects with me in like, a. it's like with my soul, with my like primal being, it's, it's something that's like, it's hard to describe. So I always like to try to ask people to describe it because it's, it's always like really nice to hear just, just what that connection means to, to people. Um, and I think, you know, something I was thinking about too is, so I do, like I go out for walks regularly. This partly could be because it's winter here in Maine. Um, and I'm outside a lot and I live in a coastal town, but I'm not like, honestly, the town that I live in has a huge public access problem where um, a lot of people have bought up all of the coastline and they put their giant homes there and then like people can't go uh, experience the coast right where we live. So even though I'm in a town, if you looked at it on the map, it's like has coastline. I can't get really to a good part of it without having to drive somewhere. Um, and that sort of like sparks my inner advocate side of myself to want to like, I think about, oh, I do all this advocacy work for like federal issues, blah, blah, blah. And like, here's an issue that's like right here in my own town. Um, and I think, you know, now that we're, we're back here for part two of the discussion, I want to spend a little bit more time diving into your experience with advocacy. And I know that we touched on it a little bit in part one, um, but for people listening, 
that may be interested in advocacy but are possibly unsure of where to begin. In your experience, what is it that makes somebody an advocate? You know, the, 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 that's, a, that's a good question, you know, and that's a question that I, I continuously answer every time that I show up or try to show up as my complete self in a world that doesn't support people showing up as their complete selves, um, whether that's in a wetland, whether that's in a pine rockland, whether that's in a classroom, whether that's in a, in a boardroom, you know, whether that's in the, in the ocean or at the, the coastal edge. Um, I ask myself that every day. Um, and so what I've arrived at, at least as of this morning, you know, is that being an advocate just means that you're willing to be a sword and a shield um, for a place, you know, for a person, you know, for a group, for a community, for your neighborhood, for your barrio, you know, about the familia, you know, even for yourself. You know, one of the one of the hardest things that I've that I've had to cope with is trying to be an advocate for myself, you know, um, but I've learned and I've taught more for people to go out, be advocates for things that they believe in, things where they could see change, you know, and, and the change that they want to see um, isn't something that just gets talked about. Um, you know, it's that's not talk about, you know, for example, something that's very in real time this morning, you know, like I mentioned, National Skip Day, right? Um, all of these kids, you know, go to the beach and, you know, to, to the volunteer cleanup crew of the beach in Miami Beach, um, they left it, you know, they left it all, all, a, all a mess, right? Um, mm-hmm. Something similar happened during the, the Memorial Day weekend um, during the pandemic, the, when the pandemic, when the pandemic kicked off two years ago. Um, it was literally a rack line. And, you know, for those of you that are listening, a rack line typically is a line of seaweed and vegetation that comes in from the ocean, you know, through low and high tides. But there was literally, and, you know, that that line could be anywhere from like a foot wide to like three feet wide and one or one or one, one and a half feet, you know, thick, right, of, of just seaweed. And here in South Florida, our, you know, our, our primary seaweed is uh, sargassum. You know, we, ha- we actually have a pretty cool phenomenon not too far away from our coastline that's called the Sargasso Sea. Um, you know, something that's comparable, that's, you know, experiencing very similar things is like uh, the North Pacific gyre. You know, so when we think about the North Pacific gyre, we think about plastic waste. The, the same thing has been happening in the Sargasso Sea. It's been collecting plastic waste and other kind of garbage. Well, Memorial Day weekend, National Skip Day today, um, again, plastic waste you know on our beaches and 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 the thing that hits more home is that these kids you know these these uh, high school kids <clears throat> they are disconnected in a very similar way that you're saying Jenna they're disconnected because they just have no access to it you know mm-hmm. they have no respect for it because for all intents and purposes they're inner city kids you know even the ones that potentially live a block away from the beach and their high school or their middle school is actually on the beach, they may have a little bit more respect, but they're in, in the, in the, in, in the less, you know, in the, in the minority. 
And I can tell you, everybody that comes down to Miami Beach, you know, the best way I can say it is they like they have no home training. You wouldn't mm-hmm. you wouldn't literally <clears throat> pour all this stuff, you know, on your lawn or on your grandmother's lawn or anything, you know. And so, the advocacy begins with raising awareness, you know. And if and if there's no raising awareness and we don't establish common language, then that advocacy doesn't go anywhere. It's just me being like the angry Hispanic that needs to like shout instead of speak. Right. Because I, I speak loud. People think I'm shouting, um, you know, and, and so developing that voice, developing a connection, but always keeping in your, in your, in your body, you know, in, in your soul and your heart, you know, the ideals, the principles, the values, you know, that are driving you to do transformative action, you know, to stand up for the, for those that can't stand up to be a voice for the voiceless, you know, because a a lot of times our ocean, you know, our, our sacred spaces, they don't have a voice that could go, you know, to a council meeting that could go to, to a fly in in DC, you know, they don't have a voice to speak to those that are coming from the outside in and thinking that, they're privileged, you know, to come to our spaces. Um, and they think that they have a housekeeper or something, you know, those mm-hmm. are the levels of advocacy, you know? And so sometimes advocacy for me looks like picking up garbage on the way from, you know, my classroom to my car, from my car to the beach, you know, when I'm, when I'm diving advocacy sometimes looks like picking up stray fishing gear. Right. Um, that's a little something I do for myself. And then advocacy on another day may look like organizing, teaching a workshop, you know, teaching other, other kids and other, um, you know, other stakeholders, other people, you know, how to be an advocate. So advocacy takes many shapes, shapes, ways, and, and forms right now. But at the end of the day, you know, advocacy means doing something to leave it better than you found it. Absolutely. And, you know, I think oftentimes when, when, um, you know, before I got into this line of work, like almost a decade ago, or, you know, maybe someone that's not as involved in advocacy work, when you hear the word advocate or activist, I think kind of a common place for the mind to go is, oh, you're thinking of these really um, historic history making like movers and shakers, the people that changed the world. And you kind of think of, maybe this is just me, but it's like, you kind of think of like an individual. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. I think just through the nature of the work that we do through healthy ocean coalition, which is like so community based, but so much of advocacy is building community um, propping other people up, supporting other people and knowing when you need to like lean in and speak up or when you need to maybe take a step back and like let somebody else speak. And I feel like you totally get that from all the work that you get. And I'm just curious to know more about like, what do you want people to know about the power advocates, um, really have when they work together and what can be achieved when people are supporting each other, creating community for each other and lifting each other up? Absolutely. I mean, just to paint a picture really quick is, you know, think about think about the tallest building 
that you've ever seen in your life or, you know, the, the biggest, you know, pyramid, um, you know, you can find in a, in a, in a history book or online or anything, you know, that didn't just come into being by like one person making it. So, you know, um, that came because a lot of people and a lot of different expertise came together, you know, to scaffold, you know, and scaffolding is a powerful educational tool, but it's also a powerful networking lens to think about, you know, how movements, you know, how things can actually occur, right? You know, at the end of the day, you know, you think about, like you mentioned, the, the major players, right? One of the things that I'm grappling with um, educationally, you know, for my scholarship is, is looking at, at indigenous, at the indigenous movement um, here in the U.S. And obviously, it, there are some major, major voices there, you know, um, that wasn't up to the indigenous communities themselves. It was really up to the, the government. You know, sitting there and saying, well, you, you all could send one person. And then mm -hmm. that one person became the voice. But the fact that that one person became the voice, it's like it's like being the top of the Empire State Building. What we're not seeing is all of the nations and all the people within that nation that contributed, you know, a piece of themselves, a piece of of a culture, a piece that contributed to that one person being able to carry on the will, you know, carry on ideas, carry on a message, you know what I mean? And so I don't lie to myself, you know, I'm, I may be in some places, you know, the person speaking, I may be in some places for here, for example, uh, conveying and trying to communicate in my way, um, the work that's being done in, in the communities that I work with, you know, through the lenses that I've been able to, you know, capture experience and make meaning of my work. Um, but I am in no way, shape or form, you know, this, you know, illusioned by the fact that I've, I've done it on my own. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, humbled and, and really every day becomes another moment that I have to, recognize and reconcile and reconcile and reflect, you know, the folks that can't be here, you know, that I'm carrying a little piece of them, you know, their will um, to, to advocate, you know, it's, we're not just advocating for the living, you know, we're advocating on top of like what that saying would say, you know, on the shoulders of giants, you know, so I'm just taking, you know, I'm, I'm taking the torch to the next step, you know, eventually, my students and my apprentices, when they, as they grow into their own, you know, I'm hoping that whatever work, you know, does not get settled in my time, that I will be able to entrust it to them, you know, and that ends up becoming something that of advocacy that is not spoken a lot about, you know, like you mentioned, we concentrate on these big iconics, right? But we don't think about everybody else that, uh, scaffolded them you know it's not necessarily propping it's it's you scaffold and you know you think about all of these platforms that are built you know to make sure that the inner structures you know could get up there you know and and 
the same way, the same way as I'm thinking about like the space, you know, the space race and, mm-hmm. and how to build, how to build, uh, you know, how to build rockets to go to Mars and all that. And it's not just, you know, it's not just one guy, you know, it might be one guy signing the checks, you know, <laughs> one government doing this against one government doing that. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's that janitor that comes in that, make sure that everything is, you know, clean and, and organized, you know, that, that person that came in to make sure that there was lunches, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, community is, is a scaffold, you know, and I if love this, that. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. and that's, the, and that's, the, that's the point, you know, when, when we reverse reflect onto it takes a village, you know, it takes a village because that village is, is scaffolded. They're connected just like the ocean is scaffolded into our planet that's scaffolded into our universe you know the water that's in our on our planet on our rock you know was water that was in space you know frozen as crystals that came alive just at the right time with the right circumstances and that water became part of us you know and that water has seen more history than any one of us, you know, through, through, through waters and through water bodies and through oceans, humanity almost reaches immortality. Almost. Yeah. What that was like, I feel like I need to pull that out as a sound bite. That was beautiful. And, um, I, I mean, I totally agree. And I think while I was listening to you talk, I, um, I was just reflecting on, I think, a lot of like this conversation can be centered around, I guess I was just kind of wondering if like, if people in other places around the world feel this same way, or if it's, it's probably a combination, but like so many people in the United States and in the Western world are raised in an incredibly individualistic way. And were thought that, you know, we have to make it on our own and we have to do this and that, and that, that, that. And that's just not how it is. Even for people that hold that mindset, no one is getting anywhere without the help of others. And I think once we are able to like move away from that mindset and live in reality and appreciate reality and the benefits that come with a healthy society and a healthy community, like the world will be such a better place. And I know that that's kind of maybe sounds like this big, like sunshiny, like, oh, world peace thing. But I was just getting onto this like thought path of, of um, you know, America being a pretty incredibly individualistic place when really what we need to be is, is paying a lot more attention to our, our scaffolding. <laughs> Yep, I, I could I could tell you that you know we, we you know one of the things that I was raised on 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 the histories of, of the U.S. Um, you know on this on this master narrative that, that folks keep talking about <clears throat> is this idea that you know to try to be nice we're 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 quote unquote a melting pot you know a melting pot in some places like you know New York or here in here in South Florida and and maybe in California. Um, you know, and there's some places that don't consider themselves at all. You know, they still consider themselves to be pristine in their ways of, you know, that, that colonial mentality. But mm-hmm. here's the reality. The U.S. is one of the most culturally scaffolded, you know, you know, spaces. We're one of the most, you know, when it, when it comes to just 
the 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 diversity you know just the the you know we we really prize habitats right you know when we look when you know one of the sadness of you know that a, a researcher um late 80s early 90s started mapping out like uh the reef systems you know in uh in the florida the the south florida reef systems and the keys and whatnot um mapping them out in the sense that he was recording like these massive reef die-offs right and we all understand that coral reefs you know are are um foundational species you know they're keystone species in the sense that everything you know everything in that habitat kind of depends on their on them thriving right you know it's it's this it's this concept um that's out there and you know obviously there's many connections you know uh, uh, global climate change, increasing in water temperatures. Um, when they ended up opening up the Panama Canal, they're thinking about, you know, microviruses or microbes that came over and infected. There's, there's many different things that I, I won't go too far deep into it, but the reality <laughs> is that the corals started uh, dying off. And, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've been a part of coral plantings, you know, down here in South Florida, a major advocacy, um, a major advocacy drive that happens is something called Coral Palooza. You know, it's almost like a two or three day event where Amazing. they fill up, they fill up boats with divers and, you know, and volunteers and they go, they literally go coral cuckoo for corals. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and we go down there and we, we plant outcrop. And I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a one, it's like a one, it's like a one-time festival that happens a year. Um, but the Coral Reef Foundation uh, does beautiful work every day between their nurseries, you know, they, they utilize that technique of hanging nurseries and they go down and they've brought back, you know, um, they brought back full, full outcroppings, you know, and, and their process is pretty cool. And they, they're pretty, they're a small, mighty crew that do it. So, you know, I've, I've been benefited, you know, to work with them, but, you know, that diversity is because of these keystones, you know, these, these keystone species. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, that diversity, you know, the ones that we see in the Great Barrier Reef, you know, all the colors and the different types of species, that's really present here in the U.S., you know, here in these places we call melting pots. But if we really embrace, and I mean embrace, you know, that means that means equity, that means, uh, you know, equality, that does mean justice. And by the way, it means inclusion, mm-hmm. you know, that, that heavily means inclusion, you know, because that is how you form scaffolds, you know, scaffolds are, are connections, you know, scaffolds mean, doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, (laughs) it's great as long as it's not in my backyard type of thing. Like, no, like, let's start really embracing, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, anecdotally, I, you know, here in Florida, we have to embrace all of, all of these uh, really wealthy people that ran away from their States and it ended up increasing all of our all of our real estate down here and then people mm-hmm. like myself that are students um you know people uh, that have been living here you know like my dad and my mom and all that on fixed on fixed incomes you know it's becoming unbearable so i have to be able to advocate you know in many shape ways and form you know to that so if it means advocating to the uh, land people landlord people or advocating you know the other day, my uh, this is this is funny. The other day, my garbage disposal uh, just went on the fritz, and I'm living in an apartment that was built like you know four years ago for the apartment mm-hmm. for the. So showing up, you know, and advocating it it means having 
an honest dialogue between people that for all intents and purposes need to understand that they're going through similar things, you know, meerkats, you know, there's that story about the meerkats. If you ever watch uh, like discovery channel and stuff that there's meerkats that are very altruistic, you know, in the sense of they will not eat until like the rest of their people eat and then they take turns so that they can watch out. Right. Mm -hmm. Other, other avian species, you know, do this, do the same thing. The ibis down here that, you know, when you see them traveling in packs and these like these little, these little crews, like picking their heads into the grass, especially after a rain, especially after a rain, there's always one that's just like, he's not, you know, he or she's not eating. They're just looking around to kind of alert the rest of them. Like, Hey, you know, people are getting too close. Like, you know, we got to move. So you're absolutely right here in the U S and, and across the world, you know, altruism and empathy um mm -hmm. are just are just really good tools that complete each other um in terms of the ways that we can understand and and really build respect community and scaffold yeah and i mean there's so many lessons in nature too i think a uh, challenge we can have for the listeners is for everybody uh, to go spend some time outside, whether it's like five minutes or an hour, however long you feel comfortable and just observe. And I think, you know, if you don't already do this already, you'll be incredibly surprised about what you see, what you learn, what you feel and how you feel when you come back indoors after you've spent time outside. And I think that we probably, I think we discussed this in part one um, but that, that housing problem is something I, I'm sure it's happening in many places, but it's something that we're seeing here too, up in Maine in the Portland area where, um, you know, the folks that have, have all the money and, uh, lots of privilege and have the ability to own multiple homes or decided that they just wanted to pick up and move somewhere else, um, are sort of buying up all of the property here. And I think a lot of people that have lived here for a very long time and have generations of family history and deep cultural roots here are getting pushed out. And um, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm not like a housing advocate, but I think uh, there are a lot of like parallels and um, also crossovers with any really issue that you advocate for, I think you see a lot of um, similar issues going on, whether it's all, it's all just, I think, tied back into that greater system, which I know that we've, we've touched on a lot. And, um, you know, I, I, I highly recommend that listeners go back and listen to part one, as I mentioned before. Um, but I guess if you're your own person, and no one, not even me, can tell you what to do. Um, I'm wondering, David, if you will just give us a refresher on what the Hispanic Access Foundation is and what your role is on the Oceans Advisory Council. You know, absolutely. You know, His Hispanic Access Foundation is a, I, I would say, first and foremost, it's a, a leadership advocacy. Um, it's a place where... I personally um, have found belonging, um, validation, and support, you know, and it's a place um, very young, but at the same time, very powerful, uh, because 
the Hispanic community in different spaces and at different levels have, you know, different support networks. But, you know, this to me, you know, has a strong connectivity, you know, right in our capital um, and it's working, um, you know, this, this, this collaborative work isn't just siloed or isolated in DC, you know, they reach out to folks that didn't know how to ask for help. They didn't even know help existed um, through different formats. My personal journey was, you know, applying to a program that was called or is called or was called the, the Latino Heritage Internship Program that was, you know, being able to pair students, um, you know, minority students, you know, Latinx students with partnerships with National Park Service. And through that partnerships, we would get, you know, to pick what park we'd want to go to um, and what kind of work um, that they would want to do that. And and they don't just do that with the National Park Service. They do that with various um, agencies like Fish and Wildlife, Bureau of Land Management, and so forth and so on. Um, you know, they've, they've built those, those relationships for a very long time. I applied actually like three times, three times over four years. And on the third time, I guess, you know, luck was on my side and I was able to get um, the opportunity to work here um, in one of my favorite parks, Everglades National Park, on something that was pretty much perfect for me that overlapped um, environmental, agriculture, and education. You know, and so that's in a very short way. That's how um, I got plugged in. And then my natural wonder and curiosity and advocacy, I guess, um, just kept asking the, uh, the, 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 the directors and, and the managers, the different programmatic managers that I networked or I scaffolded with when I was doing the work, <laughs> you know. We'll keep coming back to scaffolding, right? Because <laughs> it's the theme for this it's gonna, show. <laughs> it's thematic, you know, because the waves, if you think about it, the waves kind of scaffold inside of each other just to move through and fro, right? You know, when you think about, <laughs> you know, when you think about water, I'm going to get a little nerdy here. When you think about the way, the way that water in its liquid state starts, you know, starts having like this thing called hydrogen bonding, where it's like, it's a dance, right? It's, it's like, I'm dancing with this person next to me as a hydrogen molecule. And then as an oxygen molecule, you know, they're like, I'm dancing, 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 boom, this hydrogen molecule does, you know, and goes dance with this other oxygen molecule. And that lattice, <laughs> you know, that lattice that starts forming as it solidifies, that's when you get the structures of, um, you know, an ice, you get those like perfect structures those perfectly scaffolded structures right so scaffolding is something that you know it's not just something used for education it's not just something to use for you know metaphorical you know it's something to really share knowledge you know and share commonality and find shared language um that we could do that but uh but i digress you know this idea uh, of how it turned up was i asked i asked one of um one of the directors or at that time, one of the, the, the coordinators said, hey, you know, it'd be great if I could if I could do some more. <laughs> um, that doesn't was, sound like you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, I need to, I, I, you know, I, I, this is great. You know, six months isn't enough. You know, I need I need to do more. And so they they flew me out um, to a fisherman and anglers uh, kind of, uh, you know, meeting 
out in um, New Mexico. And in New Mexico, and in New Mexico, I got to you know meet with, with some fishers and anglers, local, you know, from from across the U.S. You know, all 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 majorly Latino and Latina and Latinx. So we got you know we got there, and, and then I was like, I went back to the to the coordinator that happened to be there at the event. I said, so when are we gonna do more? You know, maybe some stuff about like oceans and stuff like because you know they you know <laughs> they have a program called Vamos a Pescar, which is you know let's go fishing. That program is is phenomenal, right? In in our terms of, of our of our Hispanic, Chicano, and Latino and Latinx families, is because a lot of times people don't understand that mom and dad or mom, depending on on you know the family dynamic or dad by himself, you know they lean on their parents. So like abuelita, la tía, tío, they all live in these spaces. So you know, Bamo Apical was very cool when she was talking to me about it. Um, during our time in New Mexico, and I was like, "Cool, how, you know, how how do I bring that to South Florida? Like, you know, I work with people down here that that you know, and students. I want to learn fishing and da, da, da. And so it just, I just kept kept asking, kept asking. You know, that's 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 you know, that's another part of advocacy. You know, it's 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 the two P's. It's uh, patience and persistence. <laughs> persistence. You know? Yep. <laughs> patience and persistence. Patience sure. and persistence. So yeah. all of a sudden, she's like. There's something in the works. I can't tell you about it. I'll call you at the end of the year. And at the end of the year, uh, you know, that was probably 2018. Um, at the end of that year, yeah, at the end of the at that year, I got an email, you know, you know, saying like, do I want to be part of this committee? Um, you know, this council that's their first council that's called the Oceans Advisory Council, or Oceans Advisory Committee. Um, that's OAC for 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 short that Hispanic access put in like, you know, literally we're talking about putting, putting your money, your money where your mouth is type of deal. Um, and they put in that support, you know, the, they put in that support. We were, I believe five of us, five of us, maybe four of us that first year. Now there is seven, eight of us, maybe seven or eight of us. And this will be my third year. You know, and we've done, we've done many things um, for, you know, the community, um, especially when we had to transition to to doing kind of advocacy work during the pandemic, where we couldn't do any of the types of activities that we already wanted to do. Because let me tell you something, you know, conservation is exactly what you said. You know, Jenna, you get get out five minutes without your shoes, you know, put mm -hmm. your feet, put your, put, put your non-socked feet in grass just make sure it's, it's good grass, you know? <laughs> um, but, but, it, but put it, put it in grass. Tell me what you feel, you know, put your, put your bare feet up against the bark of a tree. You know, when you do go to the beach, don't just sit there and, and walk around getting sand in your shoes, you know, take, you know, roll up those jeans, roll up those pants, you know, carry your shoes, you know, and just, let the waves run past you. Let your feet get buried in that wet sand. You know, those yeah, are those really connections. Feel it. Yeah, really, really let yourself really feel, feel it. it. Yeah. yeah. And so imagine, imagine, you know, anecdotally here, and this is something that really happened. Now imagine the pandemic happened. You know, this is our, this is our, our, our second year, I believe. No, first, <laughs> this is our first year. Is, yeah. Does time even exist anymore? Time, I don't know. Time doesn't exist, no. <laughs> so this is our first year, and we were all like hyped up about you know going to DC, you know, talking to our, our elected officials, telling them everything about everything, mm -hmm. and now meetings are on the phone. So we 
the OAC team, the Ocean Advisory Committee, you know, I'm again, I'm, I'm the only boy on there. <laughs> I'm the only guy. So all my sisters and I, you know, we organized and we were making phone calls. You know, this, this, you know, remember everybody out there, you know, before the internet and all that, you know, you know cell phones, telephone actually worked, you know? And so <laughs> we got it to working. And at the end of the day, we were talking to all of our elected officials, setting up, you know, uh, congressional and, and, and those types of meetings talking about legislation um, that would later on, um, you know, like a, uh, the, the great American outdoor act that was, be, that was able, that was able to get passed, you know, again, not just because we made the phone calls because many people made the phone calls, you know, up, going up there through the white papers that we contributed to, um, but you know, that, that uh, Hispanic access foundation, um, uh, authored, um, it's just, it just went in there. And then, you know, Latino conservation week, which is a week where apart from celebrating our Latinidad, we celebrate that, in, in communion with nature, you know, like how, what is it to be, you know, Latin or Hispanic, Chicano, you know, and being in, 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 the, in nature space, in that environmental space. Which and, is coming right up. Also, you should give it a plug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, so we, we've, you know, we've constructed or, you know, when I mean, we, I, I mean the, the, the Royal, we of, of Hispanic access and some of the work that, that the group, the, the committee has done, um, you know, with, within us or within ourselves and within the greater context of Hispanic access is one of the things that's coming up here in, um, in March tune in, uh, I could, I could provide links, uh, is going to be Latino advocacy week. Right. And that's law that actually got created, uh, or conceptualized and implemented last year. That has been highly, um, it's almost like our springtime, you know, thing Now we're not just talking about conservation. We're talking about education, we're talking about immigration, you know, folks from many different places, you know, Healthy Oceans Coalition is going to come and we're going to end up doing some serious op-edding and knowing <laughs> how to leverage your your text to voice, right? So everyone's ever heard of using your voice on your phone and then going text, right? Well, this is going to be text to voice, right? Because even, even our authorship writing has, has a voice itself, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so, you know, I really appreciate you all making that time um, to do that. So it's it's coming up. It's going to be on uh, March 12th. Uh, it's going to kick off. We're actually kicking off Latino Advocacy Week down here with, a tr- with, with, uh, with you know, the my sisters down here from, uh, from OAC. We're kicking it off with a, uh, a trail walk through um, uh, Big Cypress. Uh, so we're, we're, we're really ecstatic for that. That's actually, you know, again, that's two weekends from now. Um, and then during the summer, you know, OAC has the, uh, international, uh, oceans week, you know, that later on talks, talks about international oceans day. So we do a lot of planning stuff there. And then, you know, we finish our activities during Latino conservation week that happens towards, uh, I want to say end of end of September, um, yeah, end of September October timeframe, and then Hispanic Heritage Month, um, we have IHOP, which is like this international uh, 
film festival type of thing. So there's a lot going on, <laughs> you know, for the not entire Not to be year. confused with the House of Pancakes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not to, not to be confused, but just as delicious for the mind. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for the mind and the eyes. Yeah, well, we are so excited to participate in Latino Advocacy Week, and we are so honored that you thought to – extend the invitation to us. We know that there are so many people that you can include in that week. And um, it's just it's just uh, something that we are incredibly humbled and, and honored to be a part of. So we're looking forward to that too. Um, and then I also wanted to circle back around to your comment about like nerding out because I host a show about ocean advocacy, which has like got to be the most like niche nerdy thing that you could do so if there's like no other space in the world where you could be full-on nerd like here it is (laughs) so like do not hold back (laughs) oh believe me you know I, I I try I try not to but one of the things that is that one of the things that's super important to me um is always gonna end up being meeting the learner at their level and Definitely. that that is in no shape, way, or form offensive. That means that I've been able to grow into a space where I understand that I I it's not about forcing people to come up to my understanding. It's about bringing my knowledge, bringing myself, bringing communicating to people where they're able to receive, be open, you know to receiving whatever I could offer, you know, and, and through that relationship of meeting, you know, that's something that, you know, Kevin Kumashiro and, and other curriculum theorists, um, you know, again, nerding out, um, is, uh, they've, they've, they've talked a lot about, um, and I think that each and every one of us that's, that's here today and, and that's listening, um, we're learners, you know, we, we, you all heard about this idea of lifelong learning. You know, we, we, we've all, you always, you always hear about something about the mind and the brain, um, being plastic, you know, that's, that's meaning if we're more, if we're too rigid, you know, um, we're going to buckle, we're going to burst, we're going to get sheared in the wind. Um, if you look at a palm tree, it's, it, it's plastic, you know, it, it could take up a lot of hurricane force winds and bend and and fray and, and go back and forth. And that's really what our minds need to be. Right. And we need to be adaptable, you know, and I think that me adapting to everybody, it just opens up the realm approachability and access, you know, something that you did mention very early on that I, you know, that I know that our coast mirrors as well is that decrease in access, you know, um, because of, wealth building up the coast, you know, and putting up their things and almost privatizing beaches. And if they don't Mm -hmm. privatize the beach, what ends up happening is the access to the beach becomes daunting. When, when I first, when my godparents first started taking me, you know, to the beach, because they love the beach, because my, my godfather, um, he was a boat fact of, of, you know, he's a boat crafter, you know, he's created boats in Cuba, and then he had his own boat factory down here. Um, you know, and he's the guy that I'm telling you, you know, he used to take me to the beach. He used to disappear under the waves. He used to swim, no dive, no diving gear, no nothing. So swim (laughs) to the reef, you know, 
he used to swim to the reef and come back and he used to bring me like little crabs or little fish or little shrimp while I was building sandcastles on the on the shore thinking to myself like Jaws is waiting for me you know any <laughs> all this uncertainty is waiting for me from here to there but my godfather being the badass that he is he just like puts on like these little swim goggles I'm talking about like you know the Michael Phelps little swim goggles <laughs> and and then he's just like out there and comes back you know and the nature of those things you know look I have a healthy I have a healthy respect for being in the ocean. And, and when I, even when I became a, um, an advanced diver, um, I have a healthy respect for the ocean. And I do not, again, I do not form any illusions that I am, that I am Aquaman, you know, that I could be out, mm-hmm. out there, you know, breathing that. But, you know, my godfather passed, you know, again, um, you know, two years ago, you know, the, the summer, the summer of the pandemic started. Um, he didn't pass from the pandemic. He, um, you know, he, he had, he had survived three strokes and, and this, again, you know, these, these rules of three, right. You know, the third stroke took him out and mm-hmm. he just never woke up from it. And, you know, in, in, in a way, I just think that, you know, he, um, you know, he's in the ocean and he's looking out for me, you know, and, and the best way to tell you and, you know, and reflect and like I said, advocate for the space that he loved and he grew up in and he brought boats to people, you know, wealthy people, poor people, um, is to retell his story, you know, and, and to understand that, that my advocacy work is, is fundamented. It's, it's, it's grounded in those people and the people that have brought me there. You know, when my godfather brought me to the beach, it, it was, you didn't, there was no garage. Like you didn't have to pay for parking. Now the garages that are literally, five, six blocks away from the beach are charging 20, 25, $30 just for you to go park in their garage and then maybe go spend time on a beach. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not, that's not good. You know, that's not good. When I was in the Marine Corps, you know, one of the, my, one of my favorite places, you know, when, the first time that I lost somebody in my platoon, you know, that wasn't out, in, you know, in combat, it was literally, you know, to, to a, a car accident. Um, in Jackson, North Carolina, the immediately, immediately, what did I, what did I run to? I ran to a place called Topsail Island that literally I was able to park right behind a dune. It had like those, those, those typical beach fences that are like twine and some, some wood planks. Yeah. Yeah. Planks. Yeah. Nothing crazy. And I sat there, I just sat there and and Topsail Island, uh, is not, you know, Topsail Beach is nothing like. Miami Beach, completely different sand, but it's the same ocean. You know what I'm saying? It's the waves are different because the 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 way that the the way that the coastline there is is different. You know, but what did I do? I sat there for hours. You know, until the sun until the sun went down and it became pitch black. It came to a point where I was watching the waves. To all I was doing is just listening to it, and it's just I lost myself. You know, mm-hmm. um, and even that place is getting built up, the access is being limited, so forth and so on. Um, and so that's what we fight for, you know. There's veterans that do, do not have the affordability to be able to have like a beach wheelchair, you know, to yeah. get to go to go to the beach. So, you know, what are we doing? What are these access points? How, how are we letting people, you know, that are, you know, have their, have different needs to access a resource that is common to all of us, to all of us? 
mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that's great. Keep building buildings, you know, keep, keep putting out the, the people there. But at the end of the day, you know, a, a sadder, a sadder think a, a funnier, sadder way of looking at it is all of these condos and all these places that are getting like built, like right on the beach, they're just going to be like the new, uh, the new coral reefs, you know, when storm surge happens, they're the first defense against, you know, against the waves and against all of, all of that. If we watch, uh, if we really think, if your listeners think about the movie inception, there's that scene, um, where the coastline, um, that was all these buildings, you know, like all these like places, um, in, in their, in their mindscape as the water, eroded them those buildings started falling down and in my head i was like oh cool new reefs you know (laughs) (laughs) new 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 reefs you know uh it kills me it it kills me to know that that the ocean will still be the ocean yet the landscapes the places that you know i grew up on to 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 experience and and connect and scaffold with the ocean and the land and the coast you know even if they're there they might not be accessible and even if they're accessible there's going to be a cost to them yeah yeah um i know i think it's it's all about i think we've touched on a lot of different ways that people if you're listening to this that you could consider how how much access, if you're like an expert in an issue or, um, you know, really anything that you do, and, and maybe it's letting somebody into your social circles or giving somebody an opportunity or, or helping hand however you can, but just sort of considering like what are those, whether it's like the language that you use, how you communicate, um, even all the way to like physical access to a place or a seat at the table, like just thinking about like what are those places where you might have power to influence and are you being as um, inclusive as you can be? I think that always, you know, I think such a powerful thing and I, I feel very strongly about this that everybody should be able to like explain what they do in terms that people understand. So I appreciate you taking the time to like spend some time on that topic because it's, it's very important. Like even the smartest people in the world, if you can't communicate about what you do or what you know in a way that connects with people, then it doesn't really matter. Like if you can't connect it to like most people and get them to like understand and connect with the issues that you work on, then I don't really feel like there's too much value in, in what you're doing. And I mean, I know that some of it is also intentional. Like some people like intentionally speak in a way where it's like a higher level so that people maybe feel a little bit less about themselves. But um, I'll, I'll pause there on that path. It was really mainly just sharing gratitude for you bringing that up. Cause I do think it's a really important point. You know, I also think that you touched on some some of these things. So I'm thinking about challenges now and like how we can learn so much from them. But I know that you've throughout this conversation, we've both touched on a, a number of challenges that um, we're facing in our own work and in our own communities. And I would love to hear more about, you know, what comes to mind when you think about 
some of the most challenging aspects of the work that you do, whether it's through Hispanic Access Foundation, through your doctoral fellowship, or, or even broader. You can go anywhere with it. Um, and what needs to be done to overcome these challenges? I mean, I'll start, you know, from a very humanistic point. You know, my health is a challenge right now. Um, overcoming that, those health issues, both, um, you know, mental, emotional, and, and, and physiological comes from, you know, trying to take care of myself. Um, and sometimes that means giving myself the grace to rest. Um, and that's very hard for me. Um, it's just very hard. It's probably very hard for most of the folks that are listening, um, you know, and if you know that somebody is, you know, burning and, and grinding, you know, make sure that you're able, you know, to give them, to give them the space and, and, and the, uh, opportunity for them to ask for help, not for you to subjugate them because of, of a sense of, of worry. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I like that space, you know, and sometimes that space is good for people to know that folks like us are out there. And, and if we collapse, that's, that's going to be us asking for help. And that's happened mm -hmm. on, on more than, more than one or two occasions, you know, um, and then going away from that point, um, you know, in academia right now through my, my doctoral work, you know, it's, a challenge is getting some folks to understand that scholarship doesn't happen in a silo, even though it happened for them in a silo. You know, we consistently in educational spaces talk about, you know, um, transformational acts, you know, transformational frameworks. But if the practices do not match the teachings, then we're simply just yelling at a soundboard, hoping that we change the outcomes without actually getting up and doing something about it. Um, it's very hard. It's very difficult for me. Um, it's very difficult for a lot of people. It's very, you know, especially in graduate school, because there's a huge power dynamic. Um, and so one of the things that I could tell you is that through my, dis through my doctoral and dissertation work, it's not happening as fast as it's happening to, to, for some other folks, but I refuse for it to be trauma centered, you know, mm -hmm. and I know that, that the graduate experience, you know, before social media, you know, was suffering in silence, at least now social media and, and different platforms provide, you know, support groups, you know, one of the, one of the advantageous, uh, ways to overcome this in my institution and in my program has been the creation or, you know, or not the creation, but the, 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 the cultivation, right. You know, we, we created now, um, kind of a support group that I've kind of been passing leadership roles on and, and, and helping and where I can and all that. But at the same time, knowing that I have to, you know, I have to graduate, I have to work on my proposal. I actually have to you know, do a dissertation. Right. Uh, in oceans work, as well as in agricultural work down here in South Florida and abroad, you know, it, it kills me to think that a big challenge is that we all understand or, you know, understand that we all like food in some shape, way or form, you know, mm -hmm. um, understanding that there is a 
open, huge gaping open connection to food sovereignty, you know, which means, you know, do we have access to foods really close to us and healthy foods, understanding what food deserts are, understanding how all of these things that are negative about our food systems and access to food typically happens in frontline communities and communities of color. You know what I mean? And those are the same communities that right here in Miami-Dade County are the are the ones that are working the farms that are left, you know, working the agricultural operations that are left. You know, at the end of the day, we can't keep building either horizontally or vertically, you know, and think that bringing more people and providing more residential areas is is more important than making sure that we have ample space to preserve food sovereignty and, and to, and to ex, you know, to extirpate um, or to remove barriers that, you know, these spaces of um, food desertification, you know, food desertification simply is, do we have access to nutritious food? And I hate to say it, Walmart's not cutting it all the time. You know, no. uh, that's not, that's not the healthiest food. And in places of color, it's easier for some, for one of my students to walk to like a McDonald's or a Burger King than it is for them to actually find a fruit stand, mm-hmm. like a place, a place for them to get that kind of food. Um, yeah. People might, might be hearing and listening to this and sitting there and saying like, Hey, you know, like a Hispanic person, what's the likelihood that they're going to go and, and get like a piece of fruit versus get like a 99 cent, um, um, hamburger. Well, let me tell you something. You know, that goes with education, that goes with upbringing, that goes with everything, you know. And when, I, when me and my brother were, were being raised and when my parents were together, the, the only time we were able to have access to any type of fast food was once once a week. And it was typically on a Saturday. And it mm-hmm. was very moderated. The rest of the time, it was all food that was made at home. And it was all food, you know, like my, in my godparents' backyard, they used to have fruit trees, small garden, the same thing when my parents moved to, to the only house that we ever we ever lived in when my parents were together. They had, you know, plantains. We had oranges. We had, you name it, we had it in the back. We even had a, a tree that gave out lemons and limes, <laughs> you know. Um, so challenges, we have them in spades, you know. And overcoming them, here's the key. If you can't find the solution... There are solutions out there that will potentially help you alleviate your own. We have to connect with each other mm-hmm. because, because somebody else is working on a solution to a similar issue, a similar issue of beach access, a similar issue of food access. You know, one of these issues of food, desert, food desertification, that is why we have a lot of community gardens. You know, that's why a lot of community gardens are, are popping up in urban areas, right? Not just to teach kids and the new generation about uh, food sovereignty and how to, and, you know, to how to conceptualize or think or connect to their food systems, but also to actually provide the food. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a big difference than just having a farmer's market that typically happens in wealthier neighborhoods, you know, because it's not like they don't have the, um, you know, the capital to just actually go out or get their food delivered or any number of things, right? Now, those, now going back to those things, not to, not to, 
put any shade there, but the reality is that if you are hosting, right, going back to utilizing your voice and, and your and your human capital, if you are hosting or bringing in uh, farmers markets, consider actually bringing in those those black and brown um, operated local um, you know small businesses into your into your spaces into your farmers markets you know, to really help out the local community and, and ask them, you know, you should always know where your food is coming from because then potentially we could start going back to, you know, having more farms and more green spaces than, you know, mauling them over and dropping like these uh, monopoly houses. Like if we were playing monopoly on a Sunday night, you know, yeah. uh, same thing goes for the ocean. Same thing goes for the ocean. All right. Any kids out there that's listening to this, or anyone that comes down here to Miami Beach or any any Florida coast, pick up after yourself because the challenge there is is being formulated by you all coming down here, and us overcoming it means that we have to pick up after your mess. That's mm-hmm. not right, mm-hmm. and it's not right for nature to pick up after us. So if 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 you and your own here's a challenge, you see a, a piece of garbage that even you didn't put it on there, take a minute to go pick it up. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the pandemic is still a real thing. So wash your hands, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that all ties, you know, Jenna, that all ties, that all ties right down, you know, to these are the rewarding aspects of the work, you know, of the labors, the efforts that I put in, you know, whether it's two, three in the morning and I'm giving like these long winded, very personalized feedbacks um, feedback sessions to the writings of my students, right? Um, I've had people, friends sit there and, and say like, you, you were up until three in the morning giving feedbacks and they may not even read it, you know? And it's funny because then, uh, you know, I shared that with one of my professors. My professor's like, yeah, they may not, they, they're probably not going to read it. They're undergrads, right? And I'm like, I'm not too sure. And then in that class, Okay, meaning the process by me doing that, whether they did or not, was very rewarding and enriching because I don't feel that I received that or I've received that. Right. Mm -hmm. Not not all encompassing. But it was funny because when I showed up to teach that class on Tuesday alongside my professor, three of, of the students in that class all sat there and said, said, David, Thank you for your feedback. And then it was like a chorus. Then all of a sudden, everyone started talking about like, yeah, he gives out like very personal, very strategic <laughs> feedback. Bah, 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 bah. And I, it felt like Christmas in January. You yeah, know what I'm the, saying? The professor's like, like, oh, man, no. Now David oh, raises the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and the professor's doing a bunch of stuff, right? You know, to, for, for my personal growth, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, And the reason why she's able to do that is because – is because I'm able to to be myself, to bring myself, advocate for the students there alongside of her, but I'm able to take on that work for her so that she could advocate for me. So that's what I was for talking sure. about of this idea of the meerkat. You know what I'm saying? Some days, yeah. some days you choose not to eat, or sometimes you choose not to eat to give everybody else a chance to eat. But then what happens when everybody eats, then there's somebody looking out for you. So yeah. you could go and spend your days. And that's really that rapport and that relationship that I'm building or I've, I've been building between like me and my, me and my, my mentor um, and me and having my students build that with me, you know, the more transparent and more truthful we are, that whole experience is rewarding. 
you know, and not to sound like I'm some sort of saint, I'm not, I'm probably more of a sinner sometimes, but the reality is, <laughs> the reality is, is this, every time I pick up a piece of garbage from here to like the, my, the, the dump, the dump where I, I dump my own garbage or my recycling bin, or just when I'm in a, in a, in the shopping and like the, the Publix or like any, any grocery store, just walking on a trail and I start collecting bottle caps or stuff that, you know, any, any poor little wildlife could just, you know, mistaken for whatever, you know, we, we already know the issues of plastic waste here. Um, and I put it in my pocket and then when I'm leaving, you know, I obviously I empty it all out and all that. It, it's a rewarding aspect to know, right. And people are going to start going to listen to this. It's a rewarding aspect to know that I actually bent down, you know, at, at the, at, at the, at the mid age of 42 here to pick up garbage. And I see people passing me dumping more garbage, um, like just throwing like cans and stuff as they're walking by casually and just hitting the floor and not, not caring about picking them up. And then I'm sitting there looking at myself going, <sighs> and then I pick yeah. it up and I put it in there because the other side of that is not so rewarding. The other side of that is sitting there and being what society ends up viewing me to be, which is a loud Hispanic, the angry black dude, you know, all of these, 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 uh, these racial stereotypes just come out and they completely lose the message. So maybe, maybe they will learn from my actions, yeah. you know, they'll learn yeah. from my actions. And so that's really what, what's the most rewarding part, you know, that brings me joy. You know, it's, it's both, it's, it's both my blessing and both my curse to be, you know, in the space, in the space that I am, you know, doing the things that I do. Um, you know, Albert Camus, you know, had a really good quote, you know, that real generosity towards the future lies in, in giving all to the present, you know? So I tell my students, you know, not to leave anything on the table, you know, put everything out there, you know, like just don't, don't go home with anything, no regrets. No, I should have said this. No, I should have said that. Cause you're going to do it anyways. Just go for it, you know, show up as your complete self and be happy with that. You know, find joy in that service brings me joy and yeah. I'm doing that every day of my life. Yeah. Patience, persistence. And if you're noticing cracks in our scaffolding, you know, maybe do your part to repair it, whether you get acknowledgement or praise for it or not. Yep. Yep. There's a, there's always somebody watching. Right. And, and it's, mm -hmm. that's not, that's not to, to, to creep people out and, and say that there's, <laughs> there's big, there's big brother. We already know that. Like, come on, there's cameras everywhere. Right. Yeah, um, probably. But, but I took it as like the universe and like yes. whatever, whatever you believe in. Yep. It's, Who, what it, it it's yeah. always looking. And even, even if that, even if that who or what lives inside of us, Mm -hmm. Even if, even if the only thing you believe in at the end of the day is yourself, that is who's looking, you know, looking at you, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's a, there's a, a scholar that by the name of Alan Watts, um, you know, and he talks about, you know, can you look at the, uh, at, you know, can you look, can you look at the, at the backside of your head, you know, by looking straight, you know, like no mirrors or nothing. Right. Um, and the reality is you can't, 
right? You, you kind of have to believe that, you know, your eyes have to believe and conceptualize that there's a backside of your head, you know? And even if you had a mirror and now you, now you can see it, right? Like when you're getting a haircut or one, you can see the backside of your head, right? Oh, well, there's validation. You have the backside <laughs> of your head, right? Oh, thank but, God it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> but we can never see the backsides, the backsides of our eyes, right? So this idea, he talks about a little bit about the, this, this concept that, that, that the eye, that light, that this conceptual this concept of light in the world was made because of intelligent design that we have eyes. And so there's this balance, right? So if we think about joy um, as a balance, right? Not as an emotional balance, but as just a pure, a pure warmth, a pure feeling that just, you know, come irradiates from you, but also is received by you, right? The fact that your joy is radiates outside of you and that other people around you are experiencing joy, you know, that comes, you're, you're able to receive that. That's something that we practice that my, that my mentor, uh, Dr. Chris, um, taught me in her, in her class is we always talk, you know, we always open cause a lot of the students coming in at five o'clock, you know, um, are tired, you know, and we're a commuter school and a lot of them are working and a lot of them have priorities. So the first thing we start off with you know, opening class, like classes open is to, for them to share about what they, what they, what joy they have. Right. And yep. so, you know, Alan Watts would sit there and, and talk about that, you know, the joy is the light, right. And that it's already there because we have eyes, we have a way to receive that joy. Right. And, you know, this idea that the eyes are the windows of the soul, we also have a way to transmit our joy through our the light that's inside of us you know um yeah and it, and it goes back into like using 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 your your candle to light others you know that that concept of education but i i see that again through my actions you know and, and some of my actions are discursive and some of my actions are with policymakers, and you know we're going to be able to you know again during latino advocacy week in two weeks um we're going to be talking about you know, how your texts and your pictures, you know, I know we talked about advocacy and advocating and all that, but you know, Hey, there's a lot of artists out there that have been artificating, right. Oh, Using art sure. Advocacy, you know, art advocacy to, to do a lot of stuff. And, you know, I, I can, I can think about some, some big names now and some small names that are going to become big, you know? Um, so it's, it's out there. That brings me joy. Um, and I think again, I'm always, like I said, I'm always, I'm always out for collaborating because I'm a glutton for punishment, right? Again, <laughs> um, I'm a fortress, you know, don't think that I'm not. Um, I, I, you know, messages again, um, time and people, society kind of sit there and say, especially from the institutions or the academy, sit there and say that, you know, your work is siloed, you know, that you do your work, you know, in, in your mind and, and by yourself and all that. That's not that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't hold up anymore. That doesn't hold up. You know, we scaffold with each other, you know, we connect, we build off of each other. So, so let's really concentrate, you know, on building off of our joys, off of our successes. Let's let's be empathic and sympathetic, not in a, um, in a, uh, you know, pessimistic way or in a, in a, in a uh, debilitating way, let's build each other up. You know, and I know that that's easier said than done, 
all right? And anyone that follows my work from here to, to whenever I take my last breath in this planet will understand that it's through my actions. You could call me up and we could collaborate um, and we could talk, you know, and we could figure out ways forward together. You know, I tell all my students, I have a, I have a great skill for listening with my mouth wide open, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, as long as you're willing to entertain um, thoughts in a discursive process, I've, I've been uh, tempering that and pulling it back um, because, you know, like, again, one of my, one of my mentors taught me, Dr. Chris was, it's okay to, to sit in silence with somebody and sometimes showing up, you know, as your full self, means being able to sit in silence um and just be human you know we need to rehumanize we need to we need to really rehumanize the way that we that we really treat each other that we connect with each other and the way that we connect with nature because nature knows what it means to be the ideal human you know to provide those needs without any expectation you know, nature, nature doesn't sit there and say, you know, hey, you know, you forgot to pay your toll, you know, hey, <laughs> hey, where's my food? Hey, you know, this <laughs> nature doesn't say nature's forgiving, nature's forgiving. And at, at the at the core, at the core of every human being, you know, forgiveness, you know, the capacity to forgive and to be forgiven is very powerful, you know, and it's Absolutely. something that, that needs to flow and just needs to flow. You can't force it. Yeah. I honestly, I think, you know, the way that I approach my advocacy work, but this goes so far beyond that. I think it's just a general life approach is it's like all comes back to being that light, that it being loving and forgiving. And it's, even when it's hard, I think those are where some of the biggest lessons are. Like I am also by no means saying I'm perfect at this. This is something I'm always working toward and I'm a human being and I slip up and, you know, get angry or have made countless mistakes like everybody else. But I think at the end of the day, that's, that's what it comes down to is just understanding that like I was just saying that I'm a human being and I make mistakes and so do you, David, and you were saying that like that person sitting right there next to you or the person that may be lashing out at you, like there's something else going on there behind whatever the moment is. And it sometimes can be so much harder to meet that resistance with love and forgiveness and I think when you're able to do that, um, at least in my lived experience, those are the most rewarding moments because I have never looked back at a situation where I could have gotten really angry um, and didn't and regretted it. But there are times where I've you know, lashed out, said hurtful things that I still think about to this day and regret saying them. Yeah. And and again, you know, we're, we're, we're very easy, you know, we're, we're very easy to say stuff. Um, just, you know, be, have, have grace folks, you know, have grace, you know, within, not just with, with, 
the people around you, you know, again, I'm not necessarily saying turn cheeks here, right? You know, <laughs> because the reality is we're all, we're all, we're all, oil, you know, we're all pressure cookers. Um, but just find, you'll find that, you know, again, you know, tying this all, all, all together is um, my coping, you know, some of my best coping mechanisms um, and some of my ways to find outlets, um, whether they be healthy or not, are just throwing myself into my community, into my work, um, and, and just service, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like you said in the beginning, I've learned over the years that being a good researcher and being a good scientist means that you're, you're being a great observer, you know, that that's what it means to be that, you know, that you're, that you're observant, that you, that you're able to open up yourself to receive, you know, the things and the information around you. Now that's heightened because, you know, unfortunately my PTSD makes everything, you know, makes me very hypervigilant, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I become a super observer, right. Um, as an educator, you know, as an educator, as an instructor, know that in any educational environment that you build between you and a learner, the equality and the equity found in there means that lifelong learning is something that you need to embrace. None of us are experts to that, that universal sense that we're all knowing. That means that we are consistently in a space that we learn from other learners, that it is a dialogue, and that even you, the person that seems to be at the front, the presenter, that you're able to make connections with your audience. It's not just, it's not just know your audience. It's you want to make connections with your audience and meet those learners on their level. So what does that mean? That means that I challenge presenters, educators, and instructors to ask questions, to open presentations with questions, because that way you're not coming and being transactional and kind of sitting there and saying, like, hey, here's my story. You know, I want to know about your story as much as I want to be able to tell my story, because in that way I'm carrying your stories the same way that now you're, I'm entrusting my story to you. It's, it's, a, it's a bond of trust. And then as an advocate, because those are the three lenses that I will always see my life as, you know, as an advocate, you know, I just try to be a gladiator. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a sword, I'm a shield, you know, for those that need me, when they need me, how they need me, you know, um, and I don't hide that. You know, and I'll and I'll be that. I'm I'm that now. I'll be that in my 60s. I'll be that in my 80s. If I'm past 100, you know, I'm gonna have to figure out how to have like a, a robot mech suit that you know. Hopefully, my <laughs> my little brother by that point, you know, since he's a he's an he's a computer engineer, you know, he'll figure out a way to put me into like a RoboCop Terminator thing, um, you know, and and I'll be around for many, many more millennia, uh, hopefully not hunting down John Connor or anything like that. <laughs> but, but yeah, folks, you know, understand that, that the ocean, you know, every drop of water that's, 
that's that's on this planet connects each and every one of us you know there's places there's right now there's turmoil you know um there's war there's famine there's hunger there's disharmony everywhere um you know i learned from a girl that i really really liked in high school and never stood a chance that sometimes <laughs> you have to uh you just have to say screw it and go dance in the rain you know <laughs> and 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 ever since she said that i do not carry an umbrella you know i don't and i just i just dance in the rain i could be wherever i am and i just just get soaked you know because it's it's the water that's inside of us the water that we immerse ourselves in the ocean whether we're snorkeling, swimming, just putting, dipping a toe into it. Um, it connects each and every one of us, you know, through time. It connects each and every one of us through space. Um, it's expansive to know that an element like that exists, you know, and, and think about how even researchers, you know, and, and, and again, in the space race, you know, how are we going to get water to Mars? How are we going to get water on the moon? You know, where's the water? Where's the water? There's always water because it's, it's, it's essential. It's essential to life. You know, it, it, it'd be great to, to have, you know, oxygen, right? It's great to have oxygen, but the reality is it's easier to kind of, you know, switch and filter out air, right? And, and, and go through that process. But man, you know, imagine, imagine how, what, what a big rocket you'd have to take to like move, move water to one, to one planet, to another planet and understand that the water's not going to stay here. You know, our atmosphere traps that water, you know, it, it, it contains it, you know, our planet is the framework for our histories. It's, it's, it's deep, it's deep. You know, we, you know, I, 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 I always go back that we know more about space than we, than we know about our oceans, you know, and, and that still holds true. That still mm -hmm. holds true because, you know, we have telescopes that could, that could see, you know, outside of the Milky way, but yet we still have, you know, even our best sonar and our best uh, acoustics cannot go, you know, beyond the uh, Marinara's trench type of thing all the way down trying to find kaiju and seeing where that, that hole is in case Godzilla decides to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, water's life. It connects all of us. And that's a great reminder of just how connected we all are to it. And that, you know, we're so fortunate to be here on this planet and just have these natural systems working to keep us alive and support us and, provide us with everything that we need without us even really asking for anything. And um, here we are just kind of not all of us. This is the Royal we, and mostly this is directed at like large corporations, fossil fuels, all of that, but like destroying the planet and looking to move to a different one. Like we can just do that and be fine. Um, but not to digress too much um, more importantly, David, how can people follow along with the work that you're doing or get in touch with you if they're interested in um, collaborating with you on anything? Uh, certainly. Um, so you could definitely reach me um, through Instagram at 305steam.ed. That's 305steamed.ed, science, technology, 
engineering, art, agriculture, mathematics, education, um, you could also feel free to reach out to me directly on email at um, D R I E R zero zero three at FIU.edu. That's Dryer zero zero three at FIU.edu. Uh, definitely please go check out Hispanic Access Foundation. Uh, the wealth of knowledge and the wealth of connections that have been built on our platform um, to speak about and for um, our communities, nuestra comunidades, our common unity across um, this nation and into our cultura and our cultures um, is expansive and it's just getting bigger. Um, continuously look us up, you know, like I said, Latino Advocacy Week is gonna, is gonna happen, uh, rain or shine. Um, and from there, it is a gateway <laughs> into into every into everything else, you know. And, and these gateways are good gateways, you know. Think about these gateways in the same way that um, the Statue of Liberty and uh, Ellis Island provided a gateway um, for multiple Im Im immigrants and people coming in seeking a better tomorrow um, today, you know. And so. You know, that platform, you know, again, it says Hispanic Access Foundation, but it's open for everybody. You know? mm -hmm. It's open for everybody. It's a gateway. It's it's a it's a resource. It's it's a great way to understand, um, to build understanding, you know, to make to make some of that that clear on how those scaffolds can be built, you know, out from outside of people into our into our places, into our spaces, you know, to, to be able to come in with, you know, monicums of, uh, monicums of openness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So this, um, this last bit that I have before we wrap up is this like lightning round that I do with all of my guests. Yep. And, um, so this will just be like quick, kind of like one word, one sentence answers. It's become this really fun uh, and interesting and educational, like pr a little like experiment in some way. I just feel really grateful that I get to have all these incredible people on my show and um, just like noticing trends of what people say and how they respond to these questions or just based off of like your unique perspective and, and where you are in the world and your expertise. Um, it's fun just to, to end the show this way. So we'll start with, what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we are facing? <sighs> Food insecurity. And what are you energized about moving forward? Community. Or and at then least the ability to build community. The last one, you can choose to either respond to one or both or however, and you can say more than one word, of course. What is the best advice that you've ever been given or what advice do you have for our listeners? <sighs> the best advice that I've ever been given is for you to be better than you were yesterday. That the competition is not with somebody else. The competition is not with the people online or the people on social media. The competition is you being better than you were yesterday. 
if you read one more sentence than you read yesterday, if you wrote one more sentence than you wrote yesterday, if you got up 10 more minutes earlier than you did yesterday, you are better than you were yesterday. And those small incremental changes to yourself is what has the bigger impacts in the work that you do. You know what I'm saying? So that will always be some of the most erudite, um, erudite advice, you know, wisdom that I've been, ever been shared with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all about and progress. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all about, it's all about progress, you know, versus perfection, I guess is the way to encapsulate that one. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, then, oh, oh, I, I don't want to cut you off. Oh, no, the last, the, the, to, to your second part of that question, I think it was, uh, you know, what kind of, I guess, what kind of advice to just, to just leave it with. Um, I'm a very, I'm a very, you know, pop culture driven, you know, informed type of person. Um, so I will end with a quote from, from Ezio, who is a, uh, a huge, uh, iconic a character in a series called Assassin's Creed, um, you know, where he sits there and, and he puts it, he puts it speaking, you know, to his future, like this future projection of that's looking at him, you know, kind of like as an omnipresence, he sits there and he says um, that I'm only a conduit for a message that eludes my understanding. Who are we? who have been so blessed to share our stories like this, to speak across centuries. Maybe you will answer all the questions I have asked. Maybe you'll be the one to make all the suffering worth something in the end. So, you got it all. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's like, we do, we need like a part three. <laughs> I'm like, man, maybe you just come on and be my co-host. Like we could just hey. talk forever. Yeah, right. But um, David, I I'm so grateful for just you in general for for knowing you for everything that you're doing. Our partnerships. You're just an amazing person and uh, very very fitting first double guest for me. Um, and yeah, I just like, I can't sing your praises enough. I'm, I know that we will be working together. I mean, we're probably going to, I think we're talking again tomorrow. So anyway, I know that we (laughs) will continue our journey on beyond this episode, but I just like really, really want to convey to the listeners just how much like appreciation and respect that I have for you. Um, so thank you for joining me again. Much gratitude, much gratitude to you, Jenna and the team um, and the listeners. Again, you know, I'm just, I'm happy to be able to have a, a space and a place to to share, you know, my journey and, and you know, speak it forward, speak other folks' stories and and just know that I'm not here by myself. You know, I'm a, I'm a collection of, of all those that have put their will inside of me. Definitely. And I'd also like to thank the listeners. If you like what you heard and want to hear more shows like this one, um, you can find the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribes, rates, and reviews are very much appreciated. 
Um, you can also find us online if you like to use social media. We are at Coastal News 365 on Twitter and Instagram, the American Shoreline Podcast Network on Facebook. And if you would like to connect with me personally, I am at Jenna Valente on Instagram and at Yenna Bena on Twitter. So find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines. Mm-hmm.